So let's just reverse the ball one or two times, maybe get the ball to the short corner, make the defense guard that. And we want the defense to guard that every time. And what that does as well is it allows our players to see that action all the time. So they get really good at reading it. Welcome to Slapping Glass, where we explore basketball's best ideas, strategies, and coaches from around the world. Today is the fourth installment of The Extra Pass, a short, specific conversation centering around a single basketball topic. Joining us today on The Extra Pass is the associate head coach for Yale men's basketball, Matt Kingsley. We dive into all things zone offense, including drills, philosophy, alignments, and the fundamental building blocks of all great zone offenses. We are excited to have recently launched Slapping Glass Plus, our basketball and coaching learning hub consisting of Slapping Glass TV, the Sunday morning newsletter, our private coaches corner community, monthly clinics, and more. You can find out more information about both individual and full staff discount rates at slappingglass.com. We hope to see you there. And now, please enjoy our extra pass conversation with coach Matt Kingsley. Coach, let's dive right in. We're going to get pretty tactical here in a second about certain zone concepts and how to attack it and how to run man offense against zone. But I want to start more in a philosophical way with how can coaches help both themselves and their staff and their players feel more confident when a team jumps into a 2-3 zone you know, early in the game or comes out in a zone they hadn't seen yet or practiced against instead of just saying, hey, I'm going to get back on the bus and go home, but feel like they can actually attack and, and have success? I think it lies in drilling it. We have a series of drills that we incorporate, I would say, at least once a week, sometimes twice a week or more, if, you know, specifically if we're game planning for a team that's going to play a zone. And so it's just like our post perimeter where, you know, if I take the guards and our other assistant coach takes the bigs, and that's primarily going to work on a lot of the skill specific stuff that's related to man offense. Well, in zone, it's going to be entirely different concepts, but also a different mindset. And so if you're drilling that stuff in your practices, and and it's related to zone, I think that's going to create the level of comfort. Beyond the drills, what is kind of the mentality you want to instill in your players? Because I think a lot of times they'll go to zone and your team becomes passive. So I guess when you're in these practices, when you're doing these drills, is there sort of like a mindset of mentality you're trying to foster to build where they don't skip a beat? They go zone, we just keep going. Yeah, it's really like talking to your team about that. It's going to be a lot of similar concepts to your man offense. And so, whereas if in man, we're going to ball screen and we're trying to get penetration into the paint to create some layup opportunities and kick out threes, well, against zone, it's going to be the same thing. A lot of your kickouts are going to create closeouts and you're going to be able to drive past those closeouts and you want to space the floor in a similar way. So you might get your drift passes, you might get your diagonal drifts. And so when your players understand like, okay, so those are going to be some similarities. So that's going to create a level of comfort and a mentality. And then I think where it gets a little bit tricky, but you just kind of have to talk through this with your players is that 
look at, we're not going to be primarily using ball screens to get the ball into the sweet spots, like into the paint. But, you know, for us, it's going to be, hey, we want to get the ball to the short corner and or the high post every time. Mm-hmm. And so that gives them a game plan. You know, and every once in a while, we'll have a guy like an Azar Swain who made 93 threes, you know, and shot 40%. And he's got some juice to take the shot, but he knows like in a tight spot, like he's going to get that shot anyway. So let's just reverse the ball one or two times, maybe get the ball to the short corner, make the defense guard that. And we want the defense to guard that every time. And what that does as well is it allows our players to see that action all the time. So they get really good at reading it. Coach, if we could start kind of diving in on some specific areas and actions within the zone. And so I know that you are a big fan of the short corner catch. And so can we start there, how you get it to the short corner? And then once it's in the short corner, you know, the reads and the progressions that are going to flow from there. No matter what we run, whether we're running man offense against the zone or we have a couple of different zone offenses that really accentuate the same concepts, which is getting the ball to the short corner. So if you take like a basic zone offense where your post guys X in the paint, right? And then they're going to dive down. The other one's going to flash in behind to the high post. Well, if you hit the guy diving down, down in the short corner, you're going to get that, that other post guy diving and you're looking at that dive and that skip over the top. We have another zone offense where we're playing four out on the perimeter. So now instead of flashing your post to the high post, now you're flashing from your, the perimeter into the high post. And so for me, like, and that's purposeful, right? Because that's two offenses that complement each other. Because now it's tricky enough for the defense because they don't know where the flash is coming from. Because if they're guarding that high post flash with, let's say, the back forward and it's coming from the block, and then all of a sudden it's not coming from the block, it's coming from the perimeter, you know, you'll get a few possessions out of that. And now they're sort of guessing where it's coming from. So those two offenses complement each other. And then if we're running man offense, you know, we kind of get that carryover where all right, a post up turns into a short corner touch. You know, even like a baseline penetration can turn into the same idea of a short corner touch because then you might be getting that 45 degree dive on the baseline penetration, you know, because that's something that, you know, we teach in man, get that carryover in the zone as far as the, the concept from man to zone. So you're not, not some of your man concepts are carrying over. It's really knowing your looks. So you catch the ball in the short corner, you want to see that dive, and then you want to skip the ball over the top. Uh, But what it does is it flattens out the defense and and our guys also understand, you know, that dive becomes more available after a ball reversal or two, you know, so you pass the ball to the wing and now you got all the defenders in that zone are sort of like basket line and over, right? Because they're loaded up to the ball. Maybe one guy's on the weak side, just getting ready to close out to the skip pass. But if you reverse it a few times, now all of a sudden that zone's way more spread out. They don't always rotate back into the basket line and out and back in and then out. They kind of get lazy. And after a couple of ball reversals, that's when that dive is more available because they've gotten lazy. I think it's just really important to establish something that works and see the defense guard it or maybe make an an adjustment to guard it because you hurt them. And then you have them, right? Because you, you have your counters lined up. So if you get to skip over the top for three a few times, now, all of a sudden, they're cheating out to that skip over the top for three, and that opens up the dive. So really trying to establish something, really, in man offense or zone offense is important. 
because then, then you can get them with the counters. Coach, two questions on that short corner catch. First, you mentioned, okay, we're going to dive the high post. What is the spacing you want from the other three guards? Again, you mentioned the skip. So how much do you want him raising the opposite corner field? And also, what are you doing with the guy who entered it into the uh, short corner? The guy who entered it is probably going to stay put and read, you know, because Mm -hmm. they they may deny, right? And then, you know, he's going to want to make a move to try to get open. Say they are going to try to trap. Yeah. Well, he, he's going to make a move to get open. He's kind of going to stay put right there or maybe slide down to the corner a little bit. But you're going to have one of two types of spacing. You're either going to have, you know, another guard sort of top of the key or, or like ball side seam, you know, that passed the ball to yeah. the wing who then entered mm-hmm. it into the short corner. And then a player at the high post or the opposite seam. So either of those spots, and that, that would be your diver. And then another player weak side. The alternative to that set of spacing, which the only variable there is whether the diver is at the high post or the opposite seam. The alternative to that spacing is that person in the ball side seam that passed it to the wing that entered it into the short corner. He's already opposite. And so now you overload the weak. If that's the case, you've overloaded the weak side. To me, that's the ideal scenario. And most of our offenses, you know, if we reverse the ball from the middle, and that includes the seam or the top of the key, we want you to cut and and clear the middle to create Mm -hmm. space. Uh, But sometimes they get lazy and they're there, so they're standing there. But if you have those two guys on the weak side against the zone, then that's the ideal spot because then on the kickout, you're going to beat that recovery that includes the bump down. And that's another like zone concept that you want your guys to understand. You know, you guys were talking about this the other day with one of your guests about uh, the pass pass, the two passes in a row in a ball screen, Mm -hmm. like it beats the the hard hedge. It's the same thing in the zone, right? Like if you skip it out or if you're running a zone ball screen play and as soon as you hit the ball screen, you pass it quick and that extra pass is made, unless they've already loaded up to that weak side. They can't bump quick enough and you're, you're going to create like shot opportunities. Coach, I guess the, my second kind of follow-up question is with that short corner catch, what do you teach him if he's going to hit that diver like passing? How do you want the pass or where's the optimal spot to maybe catch that pass? It's usually a bounce pass. And really where you want it is like right in their gut. You want it to bounce right up into their, basically like their stomach. And so what we'll do in our drills is we'll add a defender there so now the players have to create the passing link. We grab a manager or me as the coach, and I just kind of like try to mirror the ball. They got a fake high bounce at low. Or, or a, another passing technique, which we apply to a lot of other different scenarios is if we're not faking high and, and bouncing low, then we're faking low, and then we're whipping it right past the defender's ear. Within the four-out offense and the short corner, one, do you want him following the ball and second, if he isn't receiving it, do you want him constantly trying to seal or set flares? Or is it enough to just, hey, just get behind the defense so they can't see you? Like, what are you kind of teaching them if they're not receiving the pass? That they're following the ball, short corner, short corner, and just, just trying to basically keep the defense guessing, mm-hmm. right? Just stay underneath them. Now the defense constantly has to like swivel their head, take their eye off the ball, or if they don't and they want to watch the ball, they're going to lose sight of you. We work on ceiling. We just call it ceiling on the weak side. Rather than having like set flare plays, for us, it's more conceptual. So it's, hey, uh, the ball got reversed quick and you were on one short corner. You can flash across 
you know, and you can also like flash into the heart of the paint and look for the ball, yeah. you know, like they have, they kind of have that whole key area. All right. So you wanted to stay on the weak side. We'll work on, you know, coming up and just sealing on the weak side. And then we're looking for the skip over the top. Okay. You know, you, you become a screener. And then we talk about, you know, that sort of screen and then slip right past that screen to the open area. And that's like an, another key sort of zone concept. And that's where you get the same, it's like the same feel as if you caught the ball at the high post, right? Some people are not going to be comfortable in that spot. And it'll take a lot of experience to sort of get them comfortable because like they got maybe defenders all around them and, you know, they're just turnover prone in that area. But if you seal on the weak side and then say the defender tries to slip past you and cover up that skip pass, you slip to the open area and it's the same thing, right? So our guys know whether it's high post catch or seal and slip, I catch it. I'm catching it on two feet. So I don't travel. So I'm not catching it on the move at like one, two, it's two feet. And then I ball fake middle and I look skip. So the mm. ball fake allows me to see my low post guy, my, my short corner to short corner guy. And if it's there, you know, I'll, I'll make that pass, but at least I'm going to ball fake it. And that's going to create a suction in from the defense. And then I look, skip to the weak side. A more specific question about that high post guy. If he does flash and he's not open, what is his progression then next? Do you want him to step to the perimeter after a second or two and reverse it or go set a ball screen? So it depends, right? And so this goes back to those two basic, mm -hmm. con their, their continuity zone offenses, the one with the four out and then one that's more three out, two in with the post guys Xing, right? If the post guys X, so now it's a post guy flashing into, into the high post elbow area and he doesn't get it we step him out to the perimeter to reverse. Yeah. Okay. And so now that this is another zone concept that our guys understand is now we went from three out on the perimeter to four out. And so the, now those zone defenders have to adjust. You know, if you're doing that constantly, that creates some problems for the defense on a consistent basis. And so we step out to reverse it and then we dive down the lane and then the other post flashes from the opposite block. You know, so if that guy's a shooter, that he may not get guarded when he steps out. Or if he does get guarded, that quick pass, you know, they got to bump pretty quick to get to that. And so you're not going to get that all the time. But if you're doing it all the time and you're aware that those are opportunities, like you're going to get it sometimes. And so those are the things like the, the staples that you want happening all the time in your zone so that you don't have to diagram the flare play to get the shot because you have all these things in your zone offense that facilitate offense. Awesome. Getting back to the four out. So with that one, we got a couple different things we do. We flash in from the weak side and then we give it like a two count. If we don't get the ball, we step out. And so now we've gone from four out to three out to four out. So now we've made the defense sort of have to adjust to guarding three guys on the perimeter to four guys onto the perimeter to three guys, to four guys. The one thing I did want to mention, because I think it's key about catching the ball at the high post, because a lot of teams will sort of fan out and then guard the three. And then that's where, you're, you know, th those less experienced players might get a little nervous. Yeah. It's like, oh, like this is a passing position and nobody's open. And so we, we teach what we call like a, a hard tight dribble. And so we catch it, you know, the five man's playing down at the basket, sort of daring you to drive at them. And everybody else is on the perimeter, sort of like ready to get to shooters. So we just teach, hey, one hard tight dribble. And most of the time, that's all you need to get 
what you originally wanted when you caught it before you dribbled. That attracts the defense to sort of suck in. And so, but, but now it's like, it's sort of like a pre-planned thing. It's like, Hey, you're on guard. Take a hard, tight dribble. Specifically that hard, tight dribble. Is he, he going at the five man at the rim or is he going towards another offensive player? You know, sort of like for that backboard angle. Okay. Okay. So he's a yeah, so, so maybe not like if, he, if the five man standing right on top of the rim, maybe at his right shoulder or something like that. Sometimes you have a guy that catches it in there and the defense fans out to your shooters. And it's a player that you don't really want to attack one-on-one at the rim or you don't want him to shoot the 15-foot jumper. So then I guess what would you want him to do? Well, that's exactly why we teach the hard, tight dribble. Okay. Because if, if it is somebody that we want to attack the rim, it's not a hard, tight dribble. It's go score. Yeah. <laughs> right? And, and right. so if, if it's that player that, you know, that's not a great shot for your team, hey, hard, tight dribble. And then you'd have to go to plan C if you then start taking the hard, tight dribble and nobody reacts. Sure. Okay. Coach, another kind of conceptual one, growing up, learning to teach against a zone. Sometimes it was, okay, if they're in a 2-3 zone, we should be in an odd front alignment to to offset the 2-3 zone. But if they go 3-2, we should then go two guard front to offset. To you, how much does that matter at all as opposed to just you know run our zone offense and we'll figure out the advantages because we know how to play against the zone. I think that's worked into it like a little bit, just like a lot of these other things have a small part to play. I think that's a good concept. You know, that's sort of the idea that we try to capitalize on when we flash the post out to the perimeter to make the ball reversal. Because now we're going from an odd front to an even front, you know, from three guys on the perimeter to four. And so rather than like make that the thing that we're doing, it's woven in there where it's just happening constantly. Because if we reverse the ball three times, then we go from three guys onto the perimeter to four guys onto the perimeter, from three guys on the perimeter to four guys on the perimeter. And so now, now that becomes really complicated for the defense as opposed to, hey, let's just have a guy, you know, two, three zone. Let's have a guy at the top of the key and two wings. And let's just try to reverse it quick and stand in the same spot and see if I can quickly catch and shoot it before he gets to me. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> Coach, if we can shift gears a little bit, but get away from maybe the, like a, a continuity zone offense, but looking at running a man offense against the zone. And my first question for you is how does your screening change within your man offense when you're going up against the zone? We don't set a ton of off the ball screens. Those are kind of like secondary to us. We'll we'll get to those, but it's not like the primary part of our offense. You know, we're Mm -hmm. more about spacing, cutting, and ball screening. And so we certainly want to ball screen a player and then roll. But the reality is in in a zone, you know, if somebody who's not a great shooter catches it, they may not pay that great attention to that person. Or if you're really quick to reverse the ball and go set a ball screen and that player is not a great shooter, there might not be somebody there yet. And so that's kind of where like the stagnation comes from on offense is like, coach, hey, uh, there was nobody there to screen. And so that's the question you would get sometimes, right? And and so I didn't know what to do. What we try to tell the guys is, hey, we're running man offense against the zone. The key here is to keep your pattern. You know what the pattern is of your man offense. And if you're running a, a set, you know where you're supposed to go in the set. So no matter where the defensive players are, just keep your pattern. I thought that was like groundbreaking for me as a coach and for our players to just understand, hey, it doesn't really matter. Let's just keep our pattern. We we shouldn't get confused because we know where the ball is supposed to go, where I'm supposed to cut, 
you know, I'll take a dribble off the ball screen, I'll reverse it and I'll cut ball side or strong side. And so keeping your pattern was really helpful for them not to get confused and not to get stagnant. When would you just run your man offense against a zone? And when do you say, no, we're going to run our zone concepts? It's like, what's the difference between why you would do one or the other? I think that our zone offensive concepts are pretty effective. I like them better. I think as a staff, we like them better. And so I go to those first, let them complement each other because our players have to see the same things in them, but it's different for the defense to have to guard. And so there's some complexity there for the defense. And then if they're committed to the zone for a longer period of time, I think that's where we would get to the man. The other thing is that uh, if we're playing someone that we really think we can like score on inside, like at the basket. So now we want to get post-ups. That would be a time where you go to your man. Because one of the great things against a zone that you can get is middle post feeds. You know, so if we're running, say, like a horns look or even like our motion and we rise, we have the four man, you know, at the top of the key and we ball screen and roll from the side. Either way, you're going to have like your four man catch the ball at the top of the key and then your, your post guy rolled to the basket. We just tell them, hey, find the five man in the middle of the paint and just sit right on top of them. You know, and then a lot of times when they catch the ball right there in the middle of the paint, they have a lot of space because those back forwards, they're, they're worried about the threes on the wing. Right. And so that actually takes some emphasizing to the post guys too, because a lot of times they're used to posting up like near the block. And if you post up near the block, well, now all of a sudden you're really close to that three man or four man that's playing the wing. But if you just get to the middle of the paint and sit right on top of the five man, you know, kind of use your full three seconds in the lane. You end up getting pretty good position, you know, especially like at the onset, you're thinking you have an advantage there, right? So right. you can get good position. And so uh, sit right on top. We're looking for middle post feeds. That's what we, t- we talk about. And we'll run some man offense if we want to get middle post feeds against the zone. Okay. Coach, when you're going to face a zone for extended periods, and like you said, you'll maybe run your kind of continuum, your zone offense, and then switch to man. As coaches, is it something that they need to be cognitive of that? switching between a, a man offense to your zone offense that, you know, that change kind of actually disrupts your offense more than, than helps it. It does. It does. But, but I think what triggers the switch from those zone offenses and, and like your quick hitters, which you've now run a few times and you feel like mm-hmm. the defense is like picked up on them somewhat. I think you, you see your offense getting stagnant and then you're like, all yeah. right, if teams are going to be committed to it and play 40 minutes of it, like you got to have a significant amount of offense in your bag. If you're going to have to be playing in the half court against the zone for the whole time. We haven't really hit on this topic too much yet, but let's say you're just struggling to defeat a zone with like passing and catching, hitting opposite, or there's been times where we've just said, Hey, let's just spread them out, put our big at the bottom of the zone and let our four guards have space to, to penetrate and drive into the gaps. And so I guess your thoughts on, on that and other types of ways to attack a zone in general. I think that's really valuable. And, you know, depending on who you're facing and, and how well you think you can play with them, you know, or how well you think your offense is going to work or is working, you might go to just like straight penetration because the last piece, not the last piece, but a piece we haven't really talked about is just the offensive rebounding opportunities against the zone. And if they're covering up every pass, 
I'm going to tell you something right now. They're probably pretty spread out, right? More so than you're seeing or realizing. And so, you know, if you can get to the rim with some basic ball screens, or if they're switching screens, maybe you're just going to like shallow cut or slip to try to get some penetration. And it's like, hey guys, let's just try to get to the rim, and then four and five, you're cr- you're crashing. That's how we're going to generate baskets. And so that might be something that you go to as well. I'm curious too. How much does transition? play into your zone attack as far as they're going in a zone are you telling your guys let's try to beat it up the court let's you know obviously let's play faster but not take quick shots or what's kind of been your philosophy there that's the key is you want to play fast within how you do and and we want to push the ball as often as we can and get good shots you may emphasize that in a timeout and say if the zone's really good and like you're, you're going back and forth with a team or you're trailing by a few points and you're struggling to score, you'll emphasize that in a timeout for sure. Mm-hmm. And just say, hey guys, like, can we not play against this zone every possession? Get out and let's go. Let's look for some easy baskets. You know, hey, Paul, sprint the floor, get to the block. You know, uh, Azar and Jalen, sprint to the wings, you know, get foul line extended or lower to really stretch the defense out. The team comes out into kind of a more of a one-three-one half-court trap. Are these concepts the same that you'll carry over against a one-three-one? Against the one three one, I think it's a little bit of the concept you were talking about with one of your previous guests about two passes. Yeah. If you can make two passes against the one three one, like they're really in scramble mode because think about it. They've got the same five guys that are trying to guard an area in the two three, but now they're trying to guard the whole half court. You know, they're extended like almost out to half court. And if they were playing some kind of condensed one, three, one, then you would just treat it like a two, three or a three, two, because as soon as the ball passes, that's what it looks like. So, but if they're spread out, what we'll try to do is have four quadrants. We talk about having four quadrants on the floor and those are sort of the gaps of the one, three, one. And so if I have the ball in the top left quadrant and I can pass the ball to the top right quadrant and he can get the ball to the bottom right quadrant really quick with two passes. You got something good. And then from there, like they know our looks. And so, uh, so, so we'll, we'll do these drills, right? So we'll, t- we'll have quadrants. It'll be, Hey, let's, uh, let's pass from quadrant one to quadrant two to quadrant three, and then skip it over the top for a three. So, so they kind of know their, what they're looking for as opposed to catching it and then having to look around and see who's open. And I think that's the key is just like, you got to know your looks. Like I was saying before against the two, three, know your looks. And so, we went from top quadrant to top quadrant to bottom quadrant. It could be shot there or skip over the top. We can go from top quadrant to bottom quadrant and then straight skip. So now the, the guard who, who initially enters the ball over half court, you've given them a plan to go either way. Okay. Right. To go to his left or to go straight ahead towards the baseline. So they kind of have a basic plan. And against the one, three, one, like, you don't, if you're trying to run a structured offense against the one, three, one, like you're in trouble. It, it really comes down to like your, your, your players being able to see what's going on and understand how that defense rotates and being able to make quick plays, quick passes, quick reads. Okay. So the, the other way we like to play against the one, three, one is, uh, speaks to your idea of fronts, right? Like the, the three guard front against the two, three or the, the two guard front against the, the three, two to go four across the foul line. Cause that really distorts the one, three, one. And then you can kind of have those two high post guys on a string together. If I'm the guard and I penetrate basically down the lane in my quadrant, 
have the opposite post guy flash up. So he becomes my pass. Yeah. Because what happens is, you know, if, if you know how to one, three, one works, X five is going to, is going to shadow the ball. Mm-hmm. And then as the ball moves in that direction, that back wing is going to drop down to the paint. Mm-hmm. And the guard is sort of still going to be on me as long as I'm dribbling. He may fan back if I pick my dribble up. So if you flash back that opposite post, he's going to be open. And then you dive down the ball side post at the elbow. You get great quick action from that. Sure. Um, and so, like I said, it's not intricate, but it's just initial set of actions and spacing that distorts the one through one. And I think that's all you can ask for because it just becomes chaos after the ball moves a couple of times. Coach, late shot clock philosophy when a team is in a two, three or three, two zone where, you know, let's say there's eight seconds on the shot clock and usually you're going to maybe get into a middle ball screen or get to your best player's hand to attack. But sometimes against a zone, it's a little trickier to get a matchup you want. So what's the view on that in a late shot clock situation? You might pick the top defender that you want to attack. You know, if he happens to be smaller, like if you have a good shooter and he happens to be smaller, you might take a three off the dribble that he just creates. If you don't have that shooter, you know, you might send a ball screen there or a flat ball screen perhaps and and try to get to the rim and an offensive rebound. Just try to get another possession out of it. Quick hitters are good. We might try to get to a quick little slide under duck in play. We might run our, we call it, you know, I don't want to give yeah, don't do it. I'll give one of my play names. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> uh, you know, slide, slide the opposite post underneath uh, and duck in on the five man uh, because those don't take much time to get into. Yeah. I mean, there's a variety of things you can do. It, it can be tricky. We've actually slipped into a two, three zone defensively when other teams have pulled it out to try to go high ball screen. That works pretty well. So it, it can be tricky at the end of the shot clock. Hopefully you don't get there. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's actually a great question. And as we've been talking about it, I remember what the team that we went two threes out against when they would pull it out and go ball screen did, and it started to work and we stopped doing it. They would have the ball at the top of the key. They would take one hard dribble in one direction and then whip the ball the other way. They were getting clean looks at threes and we were like, that's not good. <laughs> Let's stop. I think they figured it out because it worked. It worked, you know, for a game. And I think we, we won a game. Uh, it was key in winning a game. And then okay. you know, we tried it again the next time we played them. And it was like, all right, we're not doing that anymore. <laughs> so they were just kind of selling one way and then just, like you said, overloading the wheat side and just skipping it. And then we're just going to play from that. Yeah. Basically, like just, you know, just playing, just like yeah. sort of manipulating the rotation. If I can ask one more and a little bit of a, a hypothetical, I know, I don't know, maybe you're not running it at, at Yale, but with the prevalence of like the five out open offenses, if you were going to run it against the zone, is there something that you would say you got to then emphasize more or that you got to really nail if maybe you can't get to that short corner or what would be kind of, if you're going to coach it, what would be then your emphasis if you're going to run a five out? Yeah, that's a great question. And we run a little bit of five out and we're going to run more. I think the key is probably off the ball cutting. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if you think about like what the short corner action does, well, you're getting the ball to that spot, but that dive is so key. Yeah. If you're running that offense, say for instance, the, the double flares in the, in, in the five out or the give and go action to start the five out, pass, cut. I think those cuts are going to be key 
in order to get that defense to suck in. And then you're getting quick looks. Yeah. You know, so if I bring the ball down the, down the side or like it's somewhere in between the, the scene and the wing, and then I hit my five man and I, and I go back door. So we try to go give and go. If I could sell that cut, you know, he might be able to just pass quick behind me to the, to my man in the corner. Yeah. Sure. You got to respect that cut. And so I, I think all over the court, those off-ball cutting opportunities are going to be what, what are going to create you know threes at least, and maybe some yeah. layups too if they they expand. Coach, in closing, any additional thoughts from your end just on how coaches can continue to look at installing zone offenses within their programs at any level? Yeah, I mean, I, I go back to what you guys and myself were talking maybe before we went live is that the success of it is in the basic stuff. And so, you know, if you could have drills for zone that you hit on periodically with your team, as opposed to just like having zone offense that you go to, like having the drills that touch on the basic concepts that put zones into trouble, and then your players get comfortable with that stuff. I think you'll know where to go from there. So often in coaching, like you want to have the map that leads you all the way to the destination, but you can't. And even if you did, it wouldn't be what you set out to be in the first place. All you need is to get to that first checkpoint. And then what you've done is going to lead you to the next spot. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Please make sure to subscribe to our Sunday morning newsletter for additional insights on this podcast. Have a great week coaching, and we'll see you next time on Slap and Glass.